Welcome to the show, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. It's an honor to have you here tonight as you are probably one of the best up-and-coming MCs there is. You also produce, you have the, the keyboard in front of you, and you can also make R&B songs as you're a singer. I appreciate that. That was, yeah. that was a good introduction. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've been noticing you've been getting a lot of traction lately. How's it been feeling? You've been doing some freestyles, you're releasing some tracks. How's it feel? Most definitely. Feels good. There's a lot more to come, so I'm I'm excited. I love that there's an attention span for it, and so that's the first step. So now I'm excited to just throw it all out there. It's gonna be a lot. Mm-hmm. How much you think you're gonna release this summer for your fans? You know what? I definitely like to get at least two projects a month in. I am releasing um, an EP at the end of the summer called uh, "Old Soul, New Conscience." So that'll be a great body of music too. But before then, a few singles. So mm-hmm. and that's in your bio on Instagram, actually. It is. It yeah. Is. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the mantra I'm living by right now. So that's your motto, similar to Drake's YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my mantra right now. Mm-hmm. It's good for you. For, for the upcoming work that you have coming out, especially the new album, is it going to be a mixture of R&B and hip hop or is it going to be just one style, which is just hip hop and R&B? Most definitely. So it's going to be a very, very eclectic body of work. Um, and so, you know, I've really been working hard to solidify that, too. I think your first project, especially as a hip-hop artist, is really, really big. And it can either you know, place you in a box or place you in a position in which you have the range to be able to be eclectic. Um, and so there are a lot of sounds in my head, a lot of things I have to say. Um, and so that's all coming together on this project. And I'm really excited for people to just hear, um, you know, more than just the bits and pieces they're hearing right now. They're going to finally be able to hear full projects, not just little freestyles here and there, but full songs put together. And, structured and you know ready ready for consumption <laughs> this is going to be your debut so you're gonna to have to make this like your illmatic something like that That's yeah <laughs> so i hope i live up to it you yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you say is the greatest hip-hop debut from a female mc in your mind well you know what i think you can count the miseducation of lauren mm-hmm. still um, as a debut single, you know, solo project, I think undoubtedly that, that would have to have the title, mm-hmm. uh, not just for a, a female rapper's project, but for a rapper's project in general. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she would definitely hold the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that counts because she was a solo act at that point after the Fugees. Right, exactly, exactly. I'd also give it, I mean, you can't really give it to her, but I'd say Il Nana was a good one. Hardcore oh, is kind of... Foxy did her thing. Foxy yeah. <laughs> Foxy did her thing. Absolutely. You know, even if you really want to consider Playtime is Over, I'm sorry, I consider Playtime is Over, you know, it's a mixtape. That that would be a, a classic project if that was to be reformatted and, and done with original beats, you know, if we're talking hip-hop, hip-hop. But there, there are a lot of great projects. I definitely think Lauryn Hill takes the crown there right now. I agree with you on that. Even hardcore with Lil' Kim that I mentioned before, but then I kind of look at it as Biggie supposedly wrote some of the rhymes on it. No, nah, we can't do that to Lil' Kim. We can't do that to Lil' Kim. <laughs> I think it's credit, because you know what it comes down to is whether or not that's the case. If a man was ghostwriting for another man, they wouldn't have said it the way that they say it about Lil' Kim. And so whenever they do it, they say it to discredit her. So. Well, I discredit Drake, too, because I... <laughs> when, when you hear the Quentin Miller rumors... You're a real hip hop head, DJ Mad Max. Yeah, <laughs> I can't, I can't give credit to Drake all the way through. I would you say that Drake? Because I've heard different DJs out there say that Drake would have been the greatest of all time if it wasn't for the ghostwriting rumors. Well, you know what? 
truthfully, I think rumors are rumors. And uh, so I think it's all subjective. I don't know. I have a very particular stance when it comes to rumors in particular. So, um, you know, I think you just got to take it with a grain of salt. At the end of the day, a dope MC is a dope MC. If the lyrics are good, the lyrics are good. Um, I, as a hip hop head myself, I, I feel like you have to write absolutely every single thing you do to even be considered a good MC. So that's how I look at it. But, you know, we'll never really know in this world. So all we can take is somebody's word. But I, I got to give it to him. I don't know. I, I think I think Drake might be holding his pin game. I think Drake might be ghostwriting for a few other people, too. I, I think we got to <laughs> give it to him a little bit. I agree with you on that. You, we bring up the words lyricist and MC. How come those terms aren't as mainstream anymore? Why do you think that is? Um, you know what? I don't even think it's that the terms aren't as mainstream. I think that just in general, the music maybe isn't as mainstream. I think the terms are have become even more mainstream because people are craving that that music so much so. But um, I definitely think as soon as hip hop was commercialized and you know we kind of saw it change hands, um, it was it was distributed differently, you know, and so it was no longer necessarily storytelling in a matter of of wanting to represent a community in a certain way. There was sort of a neglect to it because there, there was a lack of being able to to um, tap in with that community, <laughs> for lack of a better word choice. But um, with that being said, you know, that that's just how it is. It's, it's commercialized as it's become a commodity. It's more about capitalizing off of the art than, you know, speaking the truth of the art and whatever that is. So I'm sure that's the reason, you know, hip hop has become a, a, a mogul in itself. Uh, and it's everywhere. So as soon as it got commercialized, that's what did it. But I, I definitely say that I, I think I make music right now, at least not for what I can make out of it in terms of monetary gain, but just in terms of my speaking. And so I had to have the conversation with myself, even though, you know, yeah. <laughs> talk to myself about that. Like, who is your audience? Are you doing this for, um, you know, monetary gain strictly? Or are you doing this because you also have something to say? And so that, that's definitely a <laughs> something that I had to cope with too. But anyway, the answer to your question, I think that's the reason why. Mm -hmm. And I agree with your answer on that. And it's insane where the game is right now, how mainstream it is and that it's so hard for lyrical artists to really break through and be played on these major radio stations. But there are platforms out here that give attention to artists like you, such as my platform here. And, you know, that's how we break through the mold. Because if you look at stations such as Hot 97 and Power 105.1, it's not so much the talent anymore. It's the numbers. If you're doing all these numbers on social media, you're going to be put on and you could sound like complete trash. <laughs> no, it, it definitely is a money game. And so it's just, you know, but that's a, the same thing with anything, you know, with, yeah. with any craft. As soon as it becomes about how much you can gain in terms of monetary sum off of it, you, you lose the art of it. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, that definitely applies to hip hop. Something that really just interests me is the young kids out here. When you play them, say a record from you or a record, let's say Cool G rapper, Big Daddy Kane, don't you want to hear the punchlines? That's what I don't get. There's no thrills from the, from the young kids of hearing punchlines and bars. It's like, they don't get it. They don't want to, they don't want to hear it. I don't know what it is. And you know what? Also DJ Mad Max, I think what it is, is I think that at some point there was, uh, there was a miscommunication that went on and then people stopped trying to get it. I think that when hip hop switched hands and when it became commercialized, there were certain struggles that were being talked about that certain, you know, suburban white kids maybe couldn't understand. And yeah. so, <laughs> certain things, um, and they, you know, the beat is, is kicking. You can hear good music and know it's good music, but you might not understand it. And so on some things you don't understand, you're just right off. 
Um, even if it's something as simple as like, oh, such and such flipping birds. Someone read, you're not going to know what that means. You're like, what is this guy talking about? He's speaking gibberish. Why is he even saying this? And so if it already sounds like gibberish, eventually when you hear a gibberish, right, it's not going to yeah. be that different to you because you didn't know what they were saying beforehand. Um, and so that's sort of what hip hop has been able to do over time. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in a difficult time, but there, there, there's there's some traction out there with the newer artists out there with Griselda. I think Dave East is great. You have some artists out there that are breaking the mold and are making some, getting some notice out here, I'll say. Absolutely. And and that's the thing too. The art has never died. And I'm, I'm such a huge fan of hip hop. Uh, you know, even some of the old, the, the, you know, the music is still being created, whether or not it's being pushed by the machine the same way the music is there. So that's mm-hmm. the thing about it. It's just how do we flip it so that, there are consumers who want to buy it and the consumer voices are loud enough to, you know, that music's actually gain a mainstream platform. You look at the nineties and even the eighties. Oh, continue. No, no, go ahead. I was just saying about the bars and the punchline. That's important. I was saying as technology has changed too, our beats have gotten so complex, you know, that Mm -hmm. the beats are so crazy. Sometimes you're not even paying attention to the words. Sometimes if you draw back those simplistic beats, you can hear everything. And it's like, Oh my gosh, he's making so much sense. Like I Mm -hmm. love it. From an artist in today's day and age that can rap over a trap beat and do it well, unlike some other people, what is the appeal to a trap beat? Because I'm someone that prefers boom bap. I got to hear that old school 90s and 80s boom bap. What is the appeal to the trap beats and how are you able to flow on it sure. naturally? Yeah, I think, um, and I think naturally with my cadence and with my flow, I'm, I'm naturally best on, I think, boom bap as well. But I've been trying to explain my horizons and just add to that. Again, like I said, I think eclecticism is everything. Just the ability to be able to do any and everything and just the ability to be able to do more. Um, but so even when I'm structuring things, though, I'll structure things as if I'm writing to a boom bat track, you know, whether it's a 3-4 with a swing, I'll write it as if I'm writing to a boom bat track. Um, and then sometimes I'll put it to a trap beat and I'll literally just slide the beat under it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say all that to say, I think what appeals to me about trap beats sometimes is just, again, the complexity of the music. Um, so you can have very complex boom bap beats too, but I think there there's a lot to be said about the actual instrumentation that comes with, with trap music, which I think is dope. Um, and in general, I think, I think just anything with syncopation, I think is great. I think if you have something to say and if you can do it rhythmically and if it can work, then the instruments and, you know, the instrumentation is probably the, the lesser part to, to prefer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The 80s and 90s, they had MCs. Not one MC sound like, sounded like another MC. Today, there's one that does well out here. I'm not even going to call him an MC because it's usually a mainstream artist. And then they all hop on that one sound. I love it. I love it, Max. You're so <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want your take on that because back in the day, you had to have the individuality where not one MC, like I said before, didn't sound like the other one. It was totally different. Now today, it's everyone sounds the same on the radio. It's all one trend, whether it's the Brooklyn drill trend or if it's the Atlanta trap trend, which is taken over in New York, which is insane. Um, yeah, I think individuality at the end of the day is, is the essence of what it is to be an artist because that's what art is, how you see things and choose to display it in your own way. Um, but... You know what? I think that a lot of artists are, are still have a lot of individuality about them, but I think it's a matter of, again, it goes back to just 
um, the fact that now a lot of the game is about how to monetize off of things. And so when people see that one thing works, of course, they're, they're ready to do the same exact thing again, <laughs> whether that's the same sound or the same look or the same personality even, you know, it's a cookie cutter, excuse me, cookie cutter mold. Mm. So if it seems like it works, then they're going to do it. Um, and that's just going to have, this is how it's going to be as long as hip hop is a matter of making money from it, you know, mm. and as long as those in the hip hop game are, are so actively attempting to pursue it just for making money. And that's not even, you know, those are our fault or, you know, their fault. I don't know if I said they are our, but that's not even anyone's fault. Um, at the end of the day, we're being exploited for that. But I could go on about this for days, though. Go ahead, Max. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to an artist like Rap City. Cyrock is nice. There's a few female MCs out here that are really good with their pen. They could really write. Then you have someone like Cardi B and people call her, I have to hear, oh, she's the queen of rap. And it's like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I just don't know where the standard has been left off. I just don't get it. Because if you look at someone like Rap City, as I mentioned before, she could totally outshine Cardi B lyrically. Um, well, first of all, shout out to Cardi B. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone ever say that she's the queen of rap, though, and, and mean it. Um, I will say that. I think it's weird that people always use that as a comparison. And I don't think she would call herself the queen of rap either. You know, I think that she knows where she stands, but I think most MCs generally know where they stand and know where their pen game stands, um, as long as they're paying attention, you know? Um, so with that being said, I, I don't even think she would call herself the, the queen of rap. I think she knows what she does, and I think she's great at what she does in the lane that she does it in. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, shout out to those who really are pushing their pen, their pen, and it's about the, the punchlines and the bars, and um, it's taken as a sport and as an art, you know, not for anything but the the pure art and the sport. They're just doing it for the clout and the numbers. That's what the other artists do. <laughs> or survival, you know, whatever whatever the incentive or the motive may be. But that's that's what it's all about, though. We got to get back to, to the true essence. Mm -hmm. I think what we really need is we need rap, the rappers out here that really rap and to, to really call out that I'm, I mean, this is from the artist perspective. I think that the rappers who are really gifted with their pen should really call out these artists because not even the artists, the industry, just give us our limelight or what happened to the hip hop standard. Right. But you know what? I think artists are. I think slowly artists are, and I think it's starting with just a revolution and taking advantage of the actual rights to your music. I think that's a, that's, a, that's the start to it, really. Um, I think that a lot of artists are starting to turn the industry on its head. Um, the industry can't really give directions the same way as it did previously. Um, so I think things are changing slowly, uh, but I do think that that as artists and as fellow artists, we also do have a responsibility to call fellow artists out sometimes when you know their their pen game is not as, as sharp as it could be so i take that seriously myself as well um and i would hope that another mc would do the same and call me out if ever i start slipping on my game so <laughs> don't let me ever do that <laughs> we, we were going through the pandemic i mean we still are not as much it's still out there still got to be careful people are dismissing it right away people were saying during the whole pandemic with covid and the quarantine that people were relating to the music such as what you do and then the real sound of hip-hop which is boom bap lyrics conscious music people that re the re they relate to that more than what the party artists are doing out here now all of a sudden the doors are opening back up for covid19 everyone goes back out into the world 
And I feel as though people that were loving the music, the real music, the real hip hop that we all relate to, they're now running away from that. And it's here we go. Let's go party again. And I don't know. I feel as though there was a time in COVID where I was seeing social media react to just the real hip hop heads. I will say that. I think in general, uh, amidst the quarantine, I, I saw social media and just people in general be like more like humans for mm-hmm. a moment. Um, I, I think everyone wasn't uh, acted as if they were an activist for a summer as well. But I say all that to say that people's focuses do shift very quickly as soon as things change and things are just suddenly back to normal. Um, but I think it's just about creating an, an environment, again, that creates for thought-provoking music while allowing you to still be outside. Uh, be outside, you know, but yeah. what does it look like? <laughs> it's like, what, what does that look like? Um, and so I think, again, that goes back to just eclecticism and being able to put the two together. Can you make music that is both? Um, and I genuinely think that you can. I think you can make mainstream music that is also sensible. Um, I think that enough people just haven't set themselves out on a mission to do that exact thing. Mm-hmm. For you, what do you think was the top hip hop album to come out this year for you, in your opinion? This year in particular? Mm-hmm. Oh, duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? I almost forgot Cold Drops. That's oh, crazy. Uh- <laughs> And he went to St. John's. He graduated here. Of course. Yeah. I, I, J. Cole is number one person who, who inspired my 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 rap career 100 percent without a doubt. Oh, he's the he's your the number one artist that inspired your career. Wow. 100 percent Um, and that's a big statement. I would definitely say Jay-Z very, very close second. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I've I've really, really studied J. Cole. Um, and so for hard for hard going J. Cole fans, this full circle moment was so important. Um, in terms of you know the basketball thing and going back to the, the come up and just it, everything came full circle. It was it was beautiful. Um, most definitely. That, that, that what do you love most about versatility? I think J Cole is somebody who's been able to do that well. You know how can you make sensible music that mm-hmm. people will still party to? Mm-hmm. Uh, or party to is not the right word, but you know be active to have a good time to. Um, and I think J Cole might have be the one of the only people who's been able to master it for this length of time um, within a career. So, I, I think you answered my next question because I was going to ask you, what do you love most about J. Cole's artistry that it was the reason for you getting into rap? But I think you, you nailed it on the head already with saying his versatility because he can make the conscious rap and then go make the party records. Absolutely. And that, that's just one of the things. Uh, in general, I think fearlessness is just something that I've always admired. Um, the ability to say something that others are not saying. I think J. Cole has always done that. Um, and sometimes it's things that like people should be saying, you know, it's things that, that I'm thinking every day, specifically in regard to civil rights and justice and things of that sort. Um, it's like, why is no one in the mainstream saying this right now? And for a long time, he was one of the only people who was in the mainstream. Um, that, you know, he, he self-produces. And so he inspired me to do that as well. Definitely, definitely, definitely a huge J. Cole fan. It's J. Cole, Jay-Z, and Big Pun. Those. <laughs> big Pun. Okay, Big. No, I, I got to ask you about Pun because Pun is in my top five MCs, hip-hop artists of all time. Yeah. I, yeah, I think Pun is underrated in a way. He's not brought up enough because it's just that he only had that one album, unfortunately, with Capital Punishment because people overlook Yeah Baby, but Capital Punishment was a beast. Listen. Had had Big Pun had two more albums, he would have been solidified as one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. 
hundred percent, and that's a huge statement. But one hundred percent, I no no one has been able to recreate that flow, and that it just came so naturally. You know that that I'm not even about to try. To, I was about to try to replicate it right now. Not oh, the the dead in the middle, little Italy, little did we know we riddle two middlemen who didn't do diddly. Ah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really, um, yeah, love big fun, love big fun, love big. Fun. Yeah, Pun is one of the greatest of all time. That's why he's in my top five. I mean, people say to me, because then I'll have these hip-hop discussions, whether it's friends or people on the show, and I'll say, who's a rapper that can do something like that? Like, with that flow, no one could ever flow like Pun. And then they'll say, well, why would they have to? And to me, Pun's flow was impeccable. It was, 100%. 100%. And like I said, you I don't think you've heard anything close to it yet. No, that's what that's what makes it so interesting. There's so many flows that are so beautiful and so unique, but there are other flows that come, you know, close to it. I don't think you've had a flow that that's come close to Big Bang. No. Yeah, and yeah, and and he was able to solidify, you know, a name off of one project. Big Big Fun is yeah, huge Big Fun fan. Yeah, that that's back when you could take your time on the music and create hits because I believe Pun started making music and I think off of Capital Punishment in 1995 and that was the Capital Punishment album was released in 1998 because Fat Joe found Pun in 1995 put him on his second album Jealous One's Envy and then he started putting out the single still not a player came out and then all of a sudden 1998 Capital Punishment dropped so it took I believe probably took Pun it maybe took him less than that maybe a week or two two weeks the history, Max. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it took two weeks for Pawnee, just waited three years, but I doubt it. There were so many legendary MCs on there with him. Uh, I think, what was it? Black Thought was on there. Black Thought was on Super Lyrical. Fat Joe, of course, was on there. You had some you had some heavy hitters on that album, too. So I don't know how long it took exactly, but in the time period of being signed in 1995 to Capital Punishment dropping, it was a three-year period. He had another three years. He would have. He would have. He would have solidified his legacy and stuff. Yeah. Um. Even his son Elijah Rivers. I mm-hmm. think. You know. He has oh, a, Chris Rivers. Chris Rivers. Yeah. Elijah Rivers in that. Um. Chris Rivers. Yeah. Even Chris Rivers. Chris Rivers is dope too. Shout out. Mm-hmm. To yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't get the attention that he should either. He doesn't. He doesn't. Shout out to Chris Rivers. Mm-hmm. But I think he has that curse. Because his father's pun, so they're gonna look at him. And they're gonna say, "Oh, it's pun's son." <laughs> they want him to be exactly like Big Pun. Yeah, and, and it's imp- it's impossible. I mean, because pun is one of the greatest of all time. But I want to get into your backstory. Uh, tell me about where you grew up and your influences in rap. Besides J Cole, it could even be before then and when you started listening to hip hop. Absolutely. So I grew up back and forth between Inglewood, New Jersey, and Harlem, New York. Um, I was born in New York raised in New York in the beginning, and then my parents ended up breaking up. My mother um, from Inglewood, New Jersey, my dad stayed in Harlem, so I was back and forth. But um, yeah, New Jersey and New York definitely raised me. Of course, those are both two places of, the two birthplaces of hip hop, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the Sugar Hill Gang or Lauryn Hill, or you know, I don't need to name the, the long list of New York MCs. Red Man, Big L. It goes on, it goes on. But um, you know, it's always really been New York, New Jersey, so I think that's that was, in itself, you know, to be exposed and just be around that, I think is a beautiful thing and definitely influenced me as well. But uh, my father is a lover of hip hop. My father is a huge, huge lover of hip hop. 
definitely influenced me as well, just riding around the car when I was younger, just listening to it. Um, and so I was trained as a classically trained musician when I was younger. Um, again, you'll hear me talk about my family quite a lot. I'm mm-hmm. very family oriented, very big on that. Very, very close to my parents. But um, they've always been very big on the idea of you know, pushing generations to go further and further and further. And so there's the idea of the survivor, the thriver, and the, excuse me, the, the survivor, the striver, and the thriver. And so I've always considered myself the thriver now. And so I really want to take it farther. Um, and so one of those things was just implementing anything that was multifaceted within their journey. So uh, one of those things was instruments, the piano specifically. So I was forced to play the piano um, against my will for the most part, but I was forced to play the piano. Um, and I think that really, really got me into music as well, you know, just knowing music theory and actually being able to play and hearing things and actually being able to put it out there. Um, and so in the third grade, I decided I wanted to be a rapper. It was because of the Demita Joe album by Janet Jackson and Kanye West, song number five, my baby. And I was obsessed with that song. Um, and I was obsessed with Kanye West, Once Upon a Time. Maybe we'll get into that too, DJ Mad Max a little later. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, so uh, that was the record that really, really did it for me, did it for me too. And I went to, to my dad and I asked if um, he would buy me some random beats online so I could start recording and writing my little raps. And he said, absolutely not. Um, and it disappointed me. I didn't understand it at the time because, you know, I felt like, oh, it's just, it's just a beat. It's not that expensive, whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, the truth of the matter is he was like, these are things that you can do. This is something that you did. This is something that you know how to do. I didn't pay all this money, put you through lessons to give you a skill so you know how to do something and you not even use it. Um, so I ended up producing myself then. And once I started producing, it, it really took off. Mom got me a Machina by Native Instruments in the eighth grade, and after that, it was pretty much a rap. So, um, no pun intended, but it, it was a rap from, from then on. After I started doing beats, that's when I started really adding the lyrics to the instrumentation. That's, that's when I decided to release that song. Did you start on a certain software, or did you start on the drum machine? Mm-hmm. So, I started on the drum machine, mm-hmm. uh, but Machina actually is a hardware and a software. So, I was on the on the drum machine with the software machine too. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was an MPC. It's something like the MPC. MPC. Mm-hmm. The hardware looks like the MPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fire. What did what type of music did you start making out when you first started on the 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 drum beats? Was it R and B or was it mostly hip hop? You know what? I really don't even know what to call it. It stayed sitting probably for about a year and a half because I really didn't know how to use it. And I just confused myself and everything I made, I just hated at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the beginning, I guess I would just call it experimental for uh, a very, very long time. Um, and then slowly it turned very electronic and then it turned very R&B um, and it turned somewhere between R&B and, and hip hop. Um, and so now I think that's where I am. And now I'm just trying to elevate that sound even further and look, look into it. And then what my next sound sounds like after that R&B hip hop phase. What do you enjoy doing most? Do you enjoy singing, rapping, or producing? What's your number one choice out of those three? Okay. Um, I would definitely say producing, but I think that producing and rapping almost go hand in hand for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as soon as I'm creating some sort of instrumentation, I can't, I can't help us automatically have lyrics. So <laughs> automatically it's, it's two in one, but um, production definitely has my heart. So that's one of my first loves, specifically hip hop production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also sample too. Of course. I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's necessary in hip hop. Um, 
you know, of course, sampling now is a lot more difficult than it used to be, whether that's fortunately or unfortunately, I guess fortunately for some parties, unfortunately for others. But um, yeah, sampling is a huge part of hip hop and, and just, you know, being able to bring back reminiscent pieces of the past and, and, and revamp them for future listeners, which is a beautiful concept in general. So definitely a fan of sampling too. I think you have to do that as a hip hop producer, at least sometimes. You still gotta know how to do your own original material, but if you can sample and sample well, you're a great producer. I think sampling is an element of hip hop. It's important to have. And with the sample clearing, I feel as though producers, they're kind of afraid to really step into that territory because if they can't get that sample cleared, they either got to get paid a lot of money, they're going to get sued, or there's going to be no song if they're going to have to change up the type of song that they make. Right. No, yeah, it's become a lot, a lot more difficult with licensing, um, without a doubt. But you know what? I think it's worth it, to be honest with you. As somebody who, you know, is about just art in general, I know how I'd feel if somebody <laughs> took my record. <laughs> I think it is worth it, though, you know, to be able to bring that, that sound back, um, even if you do have to work over a little percentage. And there's something just so beautiful about sampling. So. I think if it wasn't for Motown and R&B, there really wouldn't be hip-hop, because a lot of the hip-hop beats are samples from R&B and Motown. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that's just reminiscent of how we dig back to our past. I think culturally, that's a beautiful thing. And I think you can see so many things culturally in the music. And I think that's just another one of them. Um, so, again, I think that's, a, that's, like you said, an element of hip hop. I think it's essential to be able to still sample. Um, but, you know, I'm okay with being able to sample respectfully of everybody's rights involved. So, I get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's a good one. Which artist is the most sample-worthy artist of the 2010s? Hmm, I like that question. <laughs> you know what? Interestingly enough, it's not the first thing that came to mind, but I think that I could do a lot with... Uh, hmm. I think you could sample Drake really interestingly. Mm. Very interesting. His early work, like so far gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even some of his more melodic things. You mm -hmm. might have given me an idea right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> an idea. I'm glad. I'm glad I did. Yep. Because the reason why I chose the 2010s is because that's kind of a difficult era. That the mid 2010s is when you start getting into the main trap scene, which is yeah. a, a brutal time in hip hop for me as a a lover of the the true hip hop sound, but the 2000 the 2010 era you still had the 50 cents in 2005 you still had that great lyrical content and the great hip-hop and then the kanye beats you still had the creativity there so that's why i went into the 2010s you only had a few here and there that were really good and it's you still look back at that decade and that was a really good question max i actually i haven't thought about that huh yeah <laughs> it was a very interesting era for hip-hop yeah experimental um, which I can say that I love, I think, in terms of what Kanye was doing with 808s and Heartbreaks, in terms of Lex Luger and trying to bring a different sound to the table. Very experimental. I don't know if our experimentation led us directly to the direction that we planned to go in, but um, interestingly, experimental. You speak out about civil rights and you speak out against the injustices that go on in America all the time, which is very necessary. How did it feel when Kanye was saying all these things about Harriet Tubman? He put on the MAGA hat because for me, 
I'm not a person that is for, I don't know, the cancel culture. It depends on what it is. But were you on the train for cancel Kanye? Um, I don't know if I'm ever on a train for canceling anybody. Mm-hmm. I, of course, I know that's important to say cancel people. I do think that it's important to hold people accountable. And sometimes you need to uh, cancel people's actions for certain things. One hundred percent, I think that canceling people is dangerous. I tend to try not to cancel out a person altogether because I think we're all growing and improving. But with that being said, um. He was not canceled as a person. He was canceled as someone that I respect, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely lost all of my respect. Uh, it's just very unfortunate. You know, it's very unfortunate to to uh, see ultimately what was the product of miseducation and misinformation um, and it being redistributed on such large platforms by somebody who uh, one would look to to do the opposite. Um, and you know, you it, you want to call someone in instead of calling someone out, generally speaking, but it's hard to do that when the person that you'd like to call in, of course, thinks that they have all the answers and all the knowledge and know it all. It's one thing if someone says, "Hey, I don't know this information," you know, but I'm interested in learning it, or give you, you know, reason to believe they're interested in learning it. But when you just say facts or what you think is a fact, and it's entirely incorrect, um, you're entirely harming whatever cause you intend to you know, conflict with. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin on that. It, it, it really upsets me. Um, to think that that anybody who was enslaved would just stand there and just choose to be enslaved and not try to break away from that. Of course, you know, anyone who did not try to actively get away did not because of psychological trauma. And, you know, he was not there. He does not know what that's like. He can't say that of all the things that went on, and I won't even begin to go into the number of atrocities that he would then be brave enough to run away after seeing his friends be, you know, hung and killed and beaten yeah. and the same exact thing in their face as an example. It's just, it's ridiculous to even say the things that he begins to say, um, and it disappoints him because he was the same person who you thought was calling things out, you know, and saying things like, President Bush doesn't care about Black people. And yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think we just we just have to be very careful. I think, um, you know, false prophets, false idols. We got to be careful not to give the wrong people too much attention. You know? That's I think that the thing that bothered people was the fact that it was such a contradiction because you heard back in the day when he said that George Bush didn't care about black people, as you brought up before, and then all of a sudden you see him in the White House and he's hugging Trump and it just doesn't make any sense because there was a time when he did speak out against what was wrong. And all of a sudden now he comes full circle and falls on a sword here, which he, uh, who knows? I think it was the Kim Kardashian sword, to be honest. Oh boy. I won't even get into that. (laughs) There are probably multiple things that did it, but either way, whatever happened should probably be undone. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I just wanted to touch upon that point and and you're one of the few artists out here that does speak out against the things that go on in our society as far as police brutality and the evil things that white people do and we all know that 100 not all the time that's why we got to be reminded and we need artists like you more and more just go back to the days of public enemy more music like that if if we had more of that i think that's the thing because i like music that is relatable people that something that people can learn from I can't learn from Migos. I'm, 
I don't have millions of dollars. I don't sit around thinking about how much cash I have in my Lamborghinis in the garage. It's just, it's not something I relate to. Radio stations, they question my blackness. I question their blackness. They call themselves black, but we'll see if they play this. No, yeah. I love, love Public Enemy. Um, public Enemy has influenced me a lot as well. But um, repeat your question again, though. I want to make sure I answer it. Your take on artists that they just don't speak out against police brutality and the injustices in America as much as they should. Do you feel as though there's, because I have this conspiracy. I think that there are some racist white people that invaded the music industry. They saw what hip hop was doing, fear of a black planet, pretty much, especially what hip hop, they saw how powerful hip hop was, especially with their words and their teachings. And they said, we're going to dumb this down. We don't need this because this is becoming too much of a powerful entity. Do you think, do you, do you feel as though that may be the case? Well, essentially, I think that's exactly what was the case, but, but, uh, unintentionally, neglectfully. I don't think it was necessarily hateful. I think it was just rather negligence um, and just not caring. And I guess that's kind of what I was going back to talk about in the beginning when hip hop was commercialized and when it became a commodity. And that's because, you know, what was being talked about wasn't being understood. It was sounding like gibberish. And so it didn't matter. It was all about the money. This is something that can be, you know, profit can be made off of this. So um, that's all that matters. And so essentially is that evil yes do i think it was a planned out plot um no i think the fbi did that to hip-hop though so don't get me wrong there were people doing that <laughs> it's not like hip-hop artists were safe so speaking out but um nonetheless do i think that it was um those commercializing hip-hop no but i think it was just pure neglect and can neglect be hateful sometimes absolutely um and of course, neglect also is as simple as not caring about whether or not an artist conforms to a negative stereotype or a negative caricature. Um, and someone who does care might say, hey, let's not put this record out because this conforms to the most negative stereotype, the most negative Black caricature of a Black American ever. Let's not put this record out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's no one doing that because the people at the top are, are unfortunately not connected in that way. And it's not hateful, but they might not even see that as a stereotype because the stereotype is so deeply ingrained in their understanding of the person that they're looking at. So, you know, they're seeing this record and they're, they're not even seeing that. Um, and so, again, I think it just comes down to neglect, um, which essentially is a plot, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and speaking of artists that did speak out against police brutality, Lil Baby did on one of his records last year when the whole George Floyd incident went on. I, that, that was a step forward, in my opinion. I think more people should follow in his path. I think because something that really bothered me was when Don Lemon was uh, on one night on CNN. He asked all these celebrities to speak out, to give a statement saying, where's all these rappers and singers speaking out against police brutality and Trump? Where are they? Where's Drake? Where are, the, where are these people? But then you think about it, is it because they don't want to insult their fan base? Is that why? But then you have to pull an Eminem at some point and just say, I don't care if, if, you, if you are following and supporting Trump's ideals, I don't want you to be a fan of me. And that's, Eminem lost a lot of followers by doing that. He didn't lose me, but because I'm such a fan and you know, you got to speak out against Trump. You got to speak out about what's going on. And that's the thing. It's, there's certain artists that just don't want to speak out about 
what's right and speak out against the wrong things in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think I think it's out of fear um, and also ignorance. I think there are some artists who also just do not know and are not connected enough to be able to speak out against it. Um, and that goes back to various systemic things as well, and undereducation, miseducation, misinformation, and all of that. Um, in terms of the ignorance and not being able to speak out on it, and then there are some artists who I think, you know, quite literally do not care because, of course, their monetary gain is more important than their study. Um, and we've always seen that throughout history, in terms of Black liberation in particular. Um, unfortunately, socioeconomics is often used as a machine to inhibit that progress. Um, and some of us are are given, you know, scarce resources, and it's made to look like a lot. Um, just to appease us in the moment such that we're not speaking out against certain injustices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think that's that's what's happening as well. I was listening to some Tupac earlier. You bring up monetary. Tupac was someone that, in my eyes, and I think a lot of people's eyes, he wasn't very monetary. You do have some contradictions there when he was with Death Row because he, it's clear he turned into two different types of people from when before his incident in which he was in jail and then afterwards when he was with death row records, his image kind of changed a little bit. His message changed a little bit. Where are the tracks today that sound like keep your head up and dear mama, things that really speak about these issues in society. It's, we don't get them as much. And I think that always goes back to the mainstream of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you know, as soon as you mentioned Tupac, I'm almost ashamed that I didn't mention that earlier, but Tupac, of course, is someone who has inspired me incredibly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think there are, there, there are a lot of records, that I'm not going to say that there are records like Tupac records being created, I'll never say that, but there are a lot of records with similar content that are being created, again, it's just not being pushed the same way. But I think that now we are beginning to see a change in which, again, there's a craving for music with, with more substance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, I may be too optimistic, but for some reason, I do think that within the next few years, we're going to be able to see a change, um, just socially as, as the world is changing with us as well, or so I hope. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I, I really do. And as far as school goes, for the people that may not know, where did you attend school? <laughs> I attended Howard University. Howard University. I knew it. I just wanted to make sure, you know, coming from you first. Absolutely. I attended Howard University. I was class of 2020, so I was the uh, COVID class. So I graduated during COVID. Unfortunately, I had to graduate in my kitchen. But uh, shout out to Howard University. Absolutely. Howard University. What was the most important class that you took during your time at Howard University? Hmm. And all of my classes were pretty important. But you know what? I took a metaphysics class. Um, Dr. Abimbola. I took a, a metaphysics class with Dr. Abimbola. It was very, very interesting. Um, I'm a firm believer that I think all students of color should go to HBCUs, at least for undergraduate, um, if you know they have the ability to be able to go to school. I think that that's necessary. Um, and so every class was, was taught for the most part through an Afrocentric lens, which I think is so important, um, specifically the metaphysics class, which is, how do you explain metaphysics? Um, philosophy. Um, philosophy of the mind, more or less. But um, yeah, so it was very interesting to learn specifically Black philosophy of mind, um, not just philosophy of mind. That was the most interesting class. Thank you. I never thought I'd talk about a class so passionately that way. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's important. You know, I look back at my time, usually when you're growing up, you hate school, but when I went to college, I noticed that I really have an appreciation for my classes in college. When I look back at high school, we didn't like our classes then or when we were younger, we hated school, but I think you, as time goes on, you have that appreciation for it. Absolutely. Graduating from your kitchen on, what was it through zoom? It was through graduation last year. I was on a zoom call. Yep, graduated through Zoom in the kitchen. So that was a, that was a very interesting experience. It's very new, but yeah, happy to be here. Happy to have been able to graduate. So. Yeah, that's the most important thing is that, unfortunately, it, are they going to have a walk ceremony? It, maybe in the summer where you can go back and they let the, the class of 2020 walk and celebrate? You know what? I think that they just did that for um, 2021. I did not oh. participate, but I was sending my love from the front. Yeah, I'm supposed to be walking here soon. Uh, Thank God, because I didn't want to graduate through Zoom, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I am. I'm looking forward to it. Congratulations in advance. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking for because I didn't want to graduate through Zoom because I, you, you work hard for four years. You kind of want some one day of celebration. Of course. Trust me, I totally understand that. Yeah. Hopefully they, they figure something out at Howard and they let you walk because I think that would be something that you want to have a, a memory of these are interesting times to look back on just how we were trapped in our houses for a year. How did that change your, your music in the, in the sense of creativity? Because I know there was a lot of artists I've had on my show and they said they had to really analyze their work and what they wanted to put out here on out from that point, because they would totally change up their sound, their style. I had artists on here that were actually making trap music. And they said, you know what, I want to make some conscious music because now society is all a mess with the pandemic let's try something else and make music relatable to the times um yeah you know i think i actually kind of went into a mental hibernation um throughout but it was very introspective um and i created a lot of different sounds i think i was really just trying to find exactly where i wanted to go with the music um and so i actually wasn't really putting out anything for the most part um, until 2021. So it was really just about, again, mastering the craft and like honing in on the craft. And while I had that time to um, be able to dedicate to the craft, just making sure that that's what my time was being dedicated to. Um, but yeah, my it, things definitely grew through, throughout the, the time of quarantine. Most definitely. And I think we all, we all grew to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah, we learned the ingenuity learning how to basically survive in our houses through zoom computers, everything became virtual. Right. Adaptability. That was the most important thing I learned. You know, you had to adapt to the times. Absolutely. Still adapting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but I see that you're working. You have a lot going on. You're working on the upcoming album. Are you working on anything else? Maybe a mini documentary about yourself because I feel as though you have a, a story to tell is, Biggie would say, but not in that sense, your own story. I love it. Um, definitely have a lot of stories to tell. Definitely have a story to tell and definitely will be telling a story soon. Mm-hmm. Um, not by way of, of documentary yet, but definitely by way of music. music. Um, really, really excited for this project at the end of August. I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. That's really what all of my attention is going into right now. Um, and just gearing up to release, you know, several singles in, until the release of the project. But um, that, and then I have been working on a few vlogs, so those, those should be cool. Um, I definitely want people to be able to see the process a little bit more, too. So, mm-hmm. 
looking forward to those two things coming out. But um, releasing the single on July third, so Rolling is going to be on Ju- on uh, all platforms on July third. So I'm excited for that. You know, starting there. July third. I was just going to bring that up. Your upcoming single. So this is going to be one of the songs off the new project. Yes. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it going to be a hip hop song or is it going to be R and B? So Rolling, actually, there's a performance video out right now. So the song is not out yet, although it will be on all platforms on July 3rd. But Rolling can be found now on uh, on YouTube and all other social platforms as well. Um, I would say it's a, to me, it sounds like show hop. I think it's probably a mix between um, hip hop and R&B. Hip hop and R&B. Very, very heavy hip hop for the most part. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go check that out on YouTube right now. It's going to be on all platforms July 3rd. As far as collaborations go in the future, it doesn't have to be a big artist. Who are some artists that you have in mind? Or are you going to pull a J. Cole and go platinum off of no features? Um, so I will say right now, my project doesn't have any features. But mm-hmm. uh, no promises. We'll see. There are definitely uh, a few MCs that I'm very impressed by. So um, we'll see. But, you know, I definitely want the project to sound like a classic project. Um, I don't want it to sound like people were forced. But if... if if they happen and they happen beautifully, then absolutely by all means. Just think only Nas had one feature on Elmatic and that was AZ. Keeping in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping in mind. And, you know, yeah. I think something beautiful about that, too. I think, um, you know, to be able to just go in and make a project and just come out with a project and you can just say, hey, this is my project and I spent behind this wholeheartedly. Um, and, of course, there's so much to be said about being able to collaborate with artists just in general, too. But for a first project, I will say it's been very important for me to um, showcase myself entirely. And I really want this to be an introduction. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that shows the artist that survives. Not I wouldn't say survives longer because, I mean, you look at someone like French Montana, everyone uses him and just he can't really hold his own, own on anything. But <laughs> you see an you see, you see an artist such as yourself or even Nas, J. Cole, they can hold their own, they can last longer. And that's why they're the premier MC. They're the premier MC is a hip hop. And I think that just goes to show you that's a testament to what you can do with your own craft. Thank you. And I appreciate that. I definitely hope to do that. Because you look at all these mainstream artists because the music drops every week and you see the albums that come out. And then all of a sudden there's 80 features. You kind of want to see what can you do by yourself? I look at tracks of what you can do by yourself more than the feature. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, well, I think whether it's a feature or not, a good record is just a good record, but there's definitely something to be said about, about being able to make a cohesive record and not need a feature to also be on there, you know, um, but to place one on there if you'd like to enhance the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm definitely open. I'm still definitely open to collaborating with, with any um, amazing artists that would, that would like to. But right now, there are no features. And uh, I'm very happy with how it's sounding right now. So we'll mm-hmm. definitely see. I'll keep you updated. Jay-Z's your second favorite artist that you said that's on your list of goats. Reasonable Doubt just turned 25. Now, I will say, this is contradictory because Reasonable Doubt is my favorite album of all time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay-Z and J. Cole are, are almost tied. But okay, so they're, they're tied. They're, they're tied. They're about tied. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, Matt. You just oh, just reflecting on Reasonable Doubt turning 25. It's it's an iconic album. It's one of the greatest debuts of all time. Yeah. How are you feeling about that album turning 25? It's 
It's insane. It's one of the greatest. Absolutely. Um, there's there's so much to be said about timeless music. Uh, it's like I can listen to you know Can I Live Without the Hustle, whatever record right now, um, off of that album, just play it at random, and I will not really know what year it was created. Um, and when you have records like that, that's that's when you know it's you know someone is an artist artist. Records that that outdo the test of time and that don't sound like an era, but just sound like beautiful records. And that's what I love about that project. I love listening to that. I love that project. You mentioned "Can I Live." What would you say is your favorite song off of the album? Can't knock the hustle. Can't knock the hustle. With Mary J. Blige. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. That's an incredible intro too. Oh yeah, love that song. Love that song. I actually sampled that song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something that sounds a little similar on also on the conscious which i'm excited for y'all to hear oh yeah that's gonna that's gonna be a good one especially if that's your favorite song because you're gonna do it you're gonna do it justice got to, got to. Mm-hmm. yeah and did you know that with dead presidents too that nas was supposed to be on that song and nas and az blew off the studio session with jay-z and that's why that's where the whole you had a hot verse i made it a hot song or you had the hotline i made it a hot song Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because Nas, Nas is my favorite of all time. So that's why I'm always kind of like when someone brings up Jay-Z, like I, I get it. But then I understand like Nas was out here. I don't know what he, he blew off Biggie's studio session. And that's why Biggie dropped Kick in the Door, because that was a diss towards Nas. Really? Mm-hmm. See, you might need to school me on the on the beefs and the disses. I tried to stay away from some of the <laughs> part of the hip-hop now. But, um, but yeah, no, that's a beautiful song. Yeah, but it's, and I, there's oh, just some history not, there. Don't get me wrong. I think that, and maybe that's why I try to stay away from a lot of the, the beef of it, because I hate thinking that, you know, some of my, it's all the people that I look up to, you know, were at, at, yeah. at odds with each other, rather. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Nas as well. I, in terms of, you know, cadence, and in terms of rhyme scheme, in terms of, you know, rhyming on the upbeat instead of the downbeat you know that's and just doing so naturally um that's something that i definitely study as well i love nas i love mm-hmm. nas but um you can't forget to say that either nas is definitely on my list yeah <laughs> nas is nas having an amazing 2020 oh yeah and heading into 2021 here with sorry not sorry and off of dj Khaled's album great a great moment for for hip-hop I'm not gonna lie. I was expecting the song to sound just a little bit different. I was, but that was an amazing moment for hip hop. I love it. And people killed his people killed his lyrics. They didn't like his cryptocurrency Scarface line. People didn't like it. Really, I didn't see that. Was there a lot of backlash to that? Line? Yeah, there was a lot of backlash. I don't know why, but was that on YouTube or Twitter or where? Twitter. Really, I didn't even see that. Yeah, people were killing Nas over it. I think Nas Nas had a really good line on that. I or verse per se, but. People are always going to be critics on Twitter. And you know, the thing is, when, when you put two goats on a song, no matter how hard the verses were, either way, you know. <laughs> yes, there's always going to be critics. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, but, you know, it had to be done for the culture, so I'm glad it was done. Even Jay-Z and Nas collaborated on DMX's new album, too. It did. Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. Yeah. There's a piece of DMX, too. To DMX, and that's why I think it's a very transformative time right now for, for hip-hop in general. Most definitely. Um, you know, the the attention span is there now. People are people are ready. People are ready. 
They're ready for the content again. That's what matters. Not the microwave, not the microwave wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Raina Simone, is there anything else you would love to tell the audience, your fans here, anything? Um, I definitely just want to say I appreciate all the support I've received recently. I appreciate everyone who's listening and just paying attention. Um, A lot of new music coming. Please look out July 3rd. Um, of course, also new conscience end of August, and you all hold me accountable. We've had a great discussion about hip hop, and of course, how to stay true to the art. I want, of course, all of my supporters and those who are looking to me to do that. I want you all to hold me accountable. And, you know, I want to make sure that, that we can carry through on that promise. So. And of course, DJ Mad Max, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Great discussion. I love just hearing you talk about hip hop. I love hip hop enthusiasts. Got me going. Got me thinking. <laughs> in my little creative space right now i'm about to go cook up mm-hmm. years turning so thank you of course and when you drop the new project you, you know you're always welcome on the show so i appreciate it i, I definitely will be looking forward to that yeah some snippets yeah oh yeah for sure let me know especially because i know the music you like to make so you know i'll be putting that in the rotation it won't be hitting the garbage bin <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it of course I'll, I'll let them know where they can follow you on instagram and twitter that's most important too absolutely please follow me at rsh on the beat r-s-h-o-n-t-h-e-b-e-a-t that's rsh on the beat and my name is Raina simone i appreciate you all. that's right i'm going to send you the link to the interview too because i'll put it up on the youtube so let your fans watch you and what you do get learn more about you and your story i think that's going to be it's going to be a good one for you Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, Max. I can't wait to see it. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I want you to enjoy the rest of your night. Take care. I'm looking forward to the new music. You too. Be safe, okay? Yep, you too. All right, my bad. Yep.